Uh, like I said, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, so while you're turning there, I'm going to pray and then we're going to get started. Dear God, we need your mercy. We need your grace. And like the song said, great is your faithfulness. We can depend on you, Lord, and we can depend on your word. And we pray that as we go through your word today, that you would speak through your word to us and how we can apply this to our lives and live out your word to the world around us. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so before we read, it's important to keep in mind that Paul is answering specific questions in this letter that the church in Corinth had. And this question is particularly speaking to whether or not you should remain single or get married. So we're going to start in verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Now even though Paul says he has no command from the Lord, this does not mean that this message is any less inspired by God. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all scripture is inspired by God. I heard a teacher once tell me, all means all, and that's all all means. So all scripture is God-breathed. This is still the inspired word of God, even though Paul had no direct command from the Lord. Now let's look in verse 26. I think that in view of this present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. In the time of Paul's writing, there was some distress, such as political unrest or famine. The first letter of Corinthians was written sometime between the year 53 and 55 AD. We know from history that when Rome burned in 64 AD, Nero blamed the Christians for it. During Nero's reign, he was notorious for persecuting Christians. This disdain from Christianity had been brewing for some time and was probably occurring locally in some manner. Now, the following verses that we're going to be going over talk about two groups. It talks about singles and married persons. So we're going to take one group at a time, and we'll be reading the rest of the passage and discussing for each group. So starting in verse 27 and going through to verse 40, we're going to read that all right now. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. If a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning, those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit 
not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let them marry, it is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart, to keep her as, her, keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I, too, have the Spirit of God. So the first group we're going to discuss are singles. If you are single, it is safe to say that Paul is a big fan after reading this passage. Even though the passage seems like he is downplaying the importance of marriage, he is not. We'll get into that a little bit later, though, more in detail. Earlier in chapter 7, Paul states that he wishes that everyone was single like he was. Verses 32 through 34 give us insight into why that is. So we're going to read those three verses again. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. But our number one and priority in life as believers is pleasing God. The first of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20 is that you shall have no other gods before me. And in Mark chapter 12, Jesus is asked by a scribe, what is the most important commandment? And in Mark 12 verse 30, Jesus replies, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And this is it. We are to love God above all else. We are to focus on him. When we take our focus off of him, we experience the anxieties that Paul mentions in verse 32. As a single man or woman, Paul is stating that you have more time to focus on the Lord. But how often do we look at it that way? We get distracted, right? We let work, school, relationships, desires, even our own comfort take the lead. We treat God as if he should only get the free time that we deem as expendable. We forget how holy God is and how deserving of our worship that he is. Our sin clouds our thoughts and turns our hearts away from him. This is why we need the gospel of Jesus Christ. In him and only in him can we be free from the chains of sin. And in him and only him are we made right with God. If we truly realized God's holiness, we would understand that he deserves our all. Every second of every day is his. The fact that we don't give it to him is because of our own selfishness. Now, I'm not saying that we should just come here 24-7, sit in this room, sing songs, and just hear preaching. No, I'm saying that every moment we have should be lived for God's glory in whatever we do. 
And we can see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. And it says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. All means all, and that's all all means. When you work, work as if you're working for the Lord directly, like it says in Colossians 3.23. When you have free time, use that free time in a manner that honors the Lord. If you are waiting for a spouse, wait in a manner that honors the Lord. Don't let anxiety tag along with you while you wait. Don't let bitterness sit next to you while you work. Don't let immorality hang out with you in your free time. But yet do all to God's glory. And sometimes it can be overwhelming to think about doing everything so that God receives glory. That is because we as a sinful people, forget how holy and perfect and righteous and awesome our God actually is. The God that we pray to is the same God that spoke the universe into existence just by using words. He just spoke it, and it came to be. The same God who saves sinners is the same God who could not look upon Jesus when he took our sin on the cross. Jesus, being God, humbled himself and became man. He lived the perfect life that we could never live in order to pay the price for our sin that we couldn't pay. He was crucified on our behalf. He died and was buried. But three days later, he defeated sin, death, and hell, and he rose from the grave. And the same God who dwells in us is the same God who defeated sin, We are no longer slaves to sin, but sometimes we choose it because we forget who he is and that he deserves every moment of our lives. But he knew we would forget. So he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell with us. And the Holy Spirit grows fruit in our lives. Now we can see in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. To my single friends, if you wait for a spouse, wait with joy. When you work, work with peace. When you enjoy free time, enjoy it with self-control. And when you minister to those around you, minister with faithfulness. And if you are anxious, be anxious about the things of the Lord. Live for God like you believe he is holy. Now this passage has a special meaning to me, Galatians chapter 5. When I was a teenager, I was blessed to have been raised by godly parents and go to a Bible-believing church. And one of the youth camps I attended taught me a song about this, about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. And it stuck with me all these years. Uh, But by the way, if you haven't signed up your kid for camp, please do so. They are not going to regret it. I mean, they're going to learn so much about the Lord and community with other believers. I encourage you to do that. Now, I'm not actually going to sing the song that I learned at camp. (laughs) Because my kids are in the room, and they would probably hate me for that. But I learned this some 30 years ago. And... 
I'm not going to sing it to spare you all as well. But the song, as silly as it sounded, helped hide God's word in my heart. When times of trouble, hurt, depression, anxiety, and fear came, I would sometimes sing that song, that silly song. I'm sorry, it, it gets me today even. The song is based on Galatians 5, to 23, and it reminded me that I am not alone. Not only am I not alone, but I am equipped to glorify God in all situations because God has saved me and his Holy Spirit dwelt in me. The Holy Spirit brings about these fruits to all obedient believers. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, you have access to these fruits of the Spirit. These fruits remind us that in all and any situation, we are to glorify God with our lives because God deserves it and Christ is all. And creation itself has already beaten us to the punch in glorifying God. And we can read this in Psalm chapter 19, verse 1. And it says that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. All of creation around us is declaring the glory of God. It can do no other. Its very existence is the fingerprint that God has impressed upon the earth. We are to do likewise. We are to live like we are the walking fingerprint, declaring God's glory in our actions and thoughts and relationships. And we can only do so by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The work of Jesus is the only way that we can be made right with God in order that the Spirit can work in us. And only a holy God could accomplish this. Soli Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone. Now back to the text this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We have seen Paul mention earlier in chapter 7, verse 7, that both singleness and marriage are gifts. If God has given you the gift of singleness, enjoy your gift. If you desire a spouse, desire a godly spouse so that your marriage will honor the Lord. But whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now we're going to read some of this passage again uh, and discuss uh, those who are married and how it pertains to us. So we're going to read again verses 27 through 35. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about the worldly things and how to please her husband. 
I say this for your own benefit and not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, like I mentioned earlier, Paul is not trying to downplay marriage here. We can see in other passages of Scripture that he believes marriage is a gift from God, as he also mentioned in verse 7 of this chapter. And we know that Scripture interprets other Scripture. Paul compares marriage between a man and a woman to Christ and his church in Ephesians chapter 5. So how are we to take this passage here? So in verse 27 it says, Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. I had the honor of officiating a wedding last night uh, for Madison and Caitlin Wright. And in that wedding, I read from Mark chapter 10 regarding Jesus' words on marriage. And in reference to marriage, Mark 10, 6 through 9 says, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. For those in the room who are married, Jesus himself says that God has joined you with your spouse. You are therefore bound. Do not seek to be free. Or in other words, do not separate. God has given you the gift of marriage, and that's how we should view it. So enjoy your gift, but enjoy it to God's glory, not to your own selfish pleasure. The ultimate goal of marriage is not companionship, nor is it pleasure, nor is it family. Now, we are to enjoy our spouse and enjoy spending time with our family, but these things are all secondary to the purpose of Christ in our life. All these things, when they're put before God, actually become idols. The ultimate goal in marriage is to glorify God by illustrating the relationship between Christ and the church. You cannot glorify God in your marriage if your marriage is not centered around Jesus Christ and his gospel. Preach the gospel to one another. Repent of sin and, and confess it to one another. Read the word and pray together. Build your marriage on the foundation that will never falter. It is God who has bound you in marriage, and it is the Holy Spirit that can sustain it. This is why Paul writes in verse 29, From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. Now, he's not saying to abandon your wife here, okay? So don't run with that. He is saying, live your life like God is above all else, even above your spouse. He is saying that our marriages should glorify God in the same way we talked about with singleness. However, while those who are single are free to live for God in unhindered ways, those who are married have responsibilities that must be fulfilled. Julie, my wife, and I, we have the privilege of leading several young couples through premarital counseling here at the church. And in our premarital counseling sessions, we guide them through a book called Catching Foxes. And I think actually uh, Scotty mentioned this a few weeks ago in, in his sermon. This book does a great job of pointing out through Scripture what the reason for marriage is. And we can see that in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. And it says, For by him all things were created, 
in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. We are created for God, first and foremost. We are created for his eternal purpose. And that purpose is fulfilled in the gospel. Whether we are single or we are married, our singleness is for him and our marriage is for him. So back in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, in verses 34, I mean 33 and 34, Paul writes, But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. When Paul writes that we are anxious about worldly things, he's referring to the responsibilities we have in marriage to our spouse. Matthew 22, verse 30, shows us that marriage only lasts while we're here on earth, and it does not carry over into heaven. And while we are here on earth, we must honor God in our marriage. Ephesians chapter 5, 22 through 33, lays out what honoring God in marriage looks like. So we're going to read those passages. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and his, him, is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves himself loves he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. See, Paul here is quoting what Jesus said in Mark chapter 10. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. After reading this context on how a God-honoring marriage should operate, we can view 1 Corinthians 7, 33 and 34 more clearly. Scripture interprets other scripture. When Paul says that the married are anxious about how to please their husband or wife, he is not talking about just satisfying needs and wants and desires. When I norm normally think about being pleased, I sometimes think selfishly, you know, and think about getting what I want or having everything go the way that I want it. But in reality, it is not the desired thing or the outcome that satisfies my pleasure. It's the rest internally that it provides from my desire. But the same is true for the faithful believer. When the Lord provides, 
we are pleased and we are at rest in Him. When the Holy Spirit refreshes our soul, as we read in Scripture, and as we read Scripture, we are pleased and at rest in Him. So husbands, when you love your wife sacrificially, like Christ did for the church, you are making her pleased and putting her at rest. When you lead your family in Christ and build your home on His firm foundation of Scripture, you are putting her at rest. When you practice the fruit of the Spirit with her, with your children, with those around you, you are putting her at rest. And when you point to the cross with your life and you shout, Christ is all, even without words, but by the manner in which you walk, you are putting her at rest. She won't have to worry about the state of her marriage because she will see the evidence of God's fingerprint on you by how you lead her in the Lord. Wives, when you submit to your husband, you're not doing so because your husband deserves it. You're doing so because Christ deserves it. When you submit to your husband, you're putting him at rest and he is pleased. When you support him as he leads your family in the Lord, you're putting him at rest. When you respect your husband and it's evident to him, he is at rest. When you pray for him, encourage him, quote scripture to him, he is at rest. And when we are at rest, we are pleased. So in the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul is saying that time is short and our next breath is not guaranteed. So whether the troubles the Corinthians were facing were life-threatening or not, they needed to make the most of their time by glorifying God and being about His work and His business. And His business is spreading the message of Christ to a fallen world that desperately needs Him. And that's what our goal is, whether we're single or we're married. Whatever our gift is, we are to spread the message of Jesus Christ and live out His gospel. To the single, there is more time available. There is more freedom, and your concerns are fewer at this time. To the married, your role as one bought by the blood of the Lamb is to honor God in your marriage by leading your households in Christ and living out that illustration we saw in Ephesians 5 of Christ and the church to the world. And our world is in desperate need of needing God honoring marriages. I read an article yesterday, and it just popped up as I was studying for this, this message, about a woman in New York who married a virtual husband. Now, she wasn't marrying someone over the internet. She was marrying someone who only resides in the internet. Okay. So not a real husband, but a digital one. And we see all kinds of deviation from God's design for marriage in the culture around us. Let our marriages honor God and shine a light on His word to the world in which we live. Let our marriages illustrate Jesus and His church to those we encounter. And let our marriages speak the gospel in our words and actions and how we treat each other. And to those of you who are single, uh, whether you're dating or engaged to be married, uh, verses 36 through 38 are for you. And we're going to read those again. 
If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. If you've been blessed with the gift of singleness, be single and devote your time to the Lord. But if your passions are strong, as Paul states, pursue a godly spouse. If you are dating or engaged, do not awaken love before it's time, as we learned in Song of Solomon. Behaving properly towards your betrothed means living a life that glorifies God before marriage. We have covered sexual immorality in previous sermons, so we're not going to go over this now. But I encourage you to go back. We have them online and our app. Uh, If you have any questions about that, please go over that. It will do you well. But live as if God is first in your life and as Christ is all. Be on guard to catch foxes that would try to ruin your vineyard, as stated in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15. By the way, we have a whole sermon series on Song of Solomon. And I'm just going to be honest, you're not going to find that at many churches. So please go, like I mentioned, on our app and website and view those. It's great for those who are, whether you're single, dating, or married, I encourage you to do so. Now at the end of our passage, we read in verses 39 and 40, instructions to those who are widowed. And it says, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if, he, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Now, if your spouse has passed, you are free to remarry. But notice the words, only in the Lord. As believers, we do not seek out unbelieving spouses. There's no missionary dating. As our marriages in that situation will not fully glorify God. If you can remain unmarried, live your life to the glory of God. But if you desire to marry again, seek one who puts God first in life, even above you. Build your relationship on the firm foundation of the saving work of Jesus Christ. Now I want to take a moment uh, to talk about believers who are currently married to an unbelieving spouse. Because even though this, this text doesn't mention it specifically, I think it's important that we do go over. So we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And that says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Now, if your spouse is not a believer, you still need to be the husband or wife that Ephesians 5 has exemplified. We do not fulfill our scriptural duties in marriage based on because our spouse deserves it. We live out scripture because God deserves it and he is holy. 
And our lives are for him first and foremost. But pray for them. Encourage them. Be the example of Christ to them so that they may be one without a word by your conduct. But also use words. Okay, It's not just about walking around doing nice things for them. How will they know the gospel of Jesus Christ unless we tell them? Because the gospel is my only hope. The gospel is your only hope. And the gospel is their only hope. Now to those of you in the room who have not yet placed your faith in Jesus for salvation, you too can be free. You can be free from the chains of sin. You can experience a life full of the fruit that the Holy Spirit provides. All you have to do is believe in the work that Jesus did on the cross on your behalf for defeating and by defeating sin, death, and hell. And we can see in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So do not delay. We are not guaranteed another breath. Today is the day of salvation. Now, as I wrap up, I actually want to recommend uh, some books for you to all read. And I'm going to recommend four books. And number one, first and foremost, is the Bible. I know that sounds cheesy. Uh, Y'all didn't think I was going there, right? But this, this is where we get God's word, right? This is the authority for our lives as believers. Jesus in Mark 4, I mean Matthew 4.4 4, said, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word from the mouth of God. So if you want to hear God speak to you, read this. This is God speaking to your life. And this for, the next one is for everyone. Uh, I recommend a book called The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul. And put, he puts a, a good take on how holy God is and how we should be living our lives to his holiness. Now, if you are uh, dating or engaged to be married, uh, the one I mentioned earlier, Catching Foxes by John Henderson, that is a great one. And if you are engaged, we actually have uh, premarital counseling that we offer here at the Lord, and we encourage you to take part in that. And for those who are married or even thinking about married or being married, uh, there's a book called God, Marriage, and Family, and it's by Andreas Kostenberger. Those are good, good books to to help us understand God's word more fully. So in closing, if I could wrap up the sermon in three words, it would be that Christ is all. Whether we are single, married, or widowed, Christ is all. Whether we experience good times, political unrest, famine, Christ is all. If I ever got a tattoo, it would say, Christ is all. Not only because it's true, but because at times I also need reminding to live my life to God's glory first and foremost. Without him, I have no hope. No work I can do can save me. Without him, you have no hope. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. It is only through the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ that we can be saved. It is only through his sacrificial death and resurrection that we can have hope, and we do have hope. 
Christ is all. All means all. And that's all all means. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for saving an unworthy sinner like myself. Lord, thank you that you did not just abandon us, that you actually did the full work of salvation on the cross. Then you sent the Spirit to dwell in us so that we would not live this life alone, but you would empower us to live it for your glory. Lord, thank you for your word that you give us instructions and you speak to us on how to live life. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. And Lord, I pray that you would help these words in this passage that we went over today, that we would apply it to our lives so that we can live for you first and foremost. And we can be an image that illustrates the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world around us. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.